And there you have it. Hoping this left you with something to noodle on for yourself. If you want to connect further, find me with the links to the show notes. If you're interested in partnering in transformation, find what you're looking for on my site, Adventures of Community. And with that, I'll see you on our next adventure. All right, so I'm trying something a little new. This is a blog post written by me a few years ago on growing up Oreo, accepting my identity, and so on and so forth. So I thought, why don't I read it aloud, see if it gives a bit of a little life to what I'm talking about here. So here it goes, written by me, and narrated also by me. (laughs) So my dad is black, not African American. I see no need to throw in hyphenations just to make everyone feel better. And that's really all that that is. Our African roots were only figured out through the guise of my mom's obsession with Ancestry.com over the course of an entire summer. If you can imagine the top of an old Victorian home, the long hallway and along one wall is our entire family tree, at least on her side, and a very paltry, unfortunate barely anything the other side of my dad's. So what we were able to find is all that we have been able to find, very little. And with that, my dad and me had always really thought that our Africanness was lost somewhere on those transatlantic slave ships or on plantations through poor, well, uh, not poor, actually, through considerably intentional omission of names, ages, and dates of those that were black on plantations. But seemingly a little spit does in fact go a long way. So really the small curvature of Western Africa that envelops Benin and Togo holds some of our ethnic truths. There is a 1% Icelandic that's a bit questionable, but you know, those Vikings had a lot of ships and they were out here bopping all about way before a lot of other colonizers. So uh, that probably answers that and little Viking in your girl. Totally cool with that. So it was so long ago, so, so many generations ago that my dad's family associates their ethnicity primarily with the Caribbean or more specifically Barbados. So from Barbados, some family was moved to North Carolina for cotton reasons, and another set of grandparents migrated up to Brooklyn, New York, and Hoboken in Jersey. So let us not forget that my great-great-grandmother was a Panamanian butte, I did just find this out, who married my seafaring great-great-grandfather. So yesterday, I wasn't Hispanic, and now I am, so it's lit, Okay. Anyway, my dad didn't care as much as I did upon finding all of this background information out, which I guess is cool. (laughs) He was and will always be a black man, visually, ethnically, and mentally. Your girl, however, has remained a confused little babe. (laughs) My mom is a white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed stunna, and her ancestry can be traced hella far back. Like, so far back that her lineage is basically brown again, so she has... (laughs) Her family is actually brown. Is it? Is it all a cycle? Okay. That's like 
the farthest back anyone can go for real. So there was quite a stir when my mom did her own spit test and she was not 100% anything but 82% Irish. Or actually, that may even be inaccurate, but 19% English with a little bit of light, super light Dutch and German in there. But she relayed this information back to her own parents whom just straight up rejected this scientifically backed information. Shocker. That age-old Irish denial, front and center, am I right or am I right? So they chose to be ethnically fully Irish, and that was that. Most of my uncles are part of the Shillelagh Club in New Jersey, so you've got that. I mean, shoot, up until I was 15, I thought Black Irish was a race, literally. I mean, it is to some sets, to others, it is not. So you've got that as well to work with. In my own home, however, I never took note of being brown-skinned next to my fair mom, dark dad, and mainly friends that looked like my mom. Let's be real. I grew up in an urban suburb of New York, and thus it was normal to be around every sort of person, albeit primarily of the browner sort. It's true. I always thought it was a fun game to guess the ethnicity of a kid that transferred from another school or country. Choosing between being boxed in as black or white happened sometime in middle school. So I had a lot of time to never contemplate it at all. Now it's around me daily. It would be many years later circumnavigating the planet that I took a good long look at that resentment that I hadn't realized. I attended an event an hour outside Hanoi, Vietnam on an eco farm where we did very hippie things. Group meditation, interpretive dance, observing baby calves, you know, the usuals. And the question arose was, as the sun was setting and group meditation had come to a close before dinner, what is your biggest failure? And when my turn came around, I started off as well as one can when emotions inevitably creep up from your toes unawares. And then I could barely get words out as I cried profusely possibly more than any time ever, definitely in front of other people. Suddenly I was being hugged and held from behind by masculine arms, infusing me with just enough energy to get the rest of what I was saying out in a puff of air. My biggest failure was that I was brown. I never recognized that I'd been internally holding on to the fact that I wasn't involved with much family besides my parents until I was 13. My maternal grandparents had tolerated my parents being friends for decades. But once my parents decided on holy matrimony, things went a little haywire. I didn't even know I had grandparents until I was a teenager. If I did... I put those memories so far back in my mental cabinet that that doesn't exist in my list of experiences. It's just simply not there. I vaguely recall seeing immense white men come in the house and hang sometimes, but I was thrown by the fact that I had actually a shocking set of four uncles not to. Holidays started to normalize sometime around 16, but by then it did feel obligatory. The love I had to scrape up for them took time, tons of time, still, still happening now. It took until I was in my 20s before I chose to just forget what was and forgive because it takes less exertion than most other emotions. To be fair, 
my mom harbored resentment and anger for quite some time. The blame cannot all be cast upon everyone else or really ever in any case. We all have skeletons. We're all doing, I do believe we are all doing the best we can with the tools we believe that we have. So my dad, one of six, lost his father before I was born. Uh, He was in his 50s and to esophageal cancer. And it was devastating for my dad. Seemingly, they were true homies and had a relationship that was envied by many, understandably. My dad grew up in the projects of Hoboken, and once he became a cop in his late teens, he finagled his way out of there, uh, out of the projects, that is, invariably into my mom's arms and later into a home in the burbs. He got out, and for a time, so I was told, one of the most difficult things was for him to shed that guilt of success. As a result, I saw the black side of my family every once in a blue moon. And for parental reasons that can remain private to my own unit, I respect their decision and how they chose to raise me because really at the end of the day, once again, we're all doing the best we can with what we know. So simultaneously, I do often pause to wonder what would have been had I had the fortune of seeing more family more frequently while growing up. It's not hard for me to say goodbye, to escape, or to cut ties because... I never had too many deep bonds to begin with. Okay, back to regularly scheduled programming. My mom was a high school teacher and eventual guidance counselor. She often left for work before my dad did in the mornings when I was growing up. I remember waking up every morning for school and having an excessive amount of waffles with both butter and syrup while watching Saved by the Bell or Pokemon, 90s. I'd take a shower, not know that I had to comb my hair. You see where this is going. I'd utilize both shampoo and conditioner because my mom used both daily, so so did I. There were just some aspects of being biracial, mainly hygienic, that were unknown to not only myself, but my parents. I was the only biracial person in our extended family for many years, and thus my parents had no one to really confide in. Not to mention, one just doesn't know what the fuck they don't know, so what the hell are we talking about? The issue wasn't even faintly realized until my mom came home one day from work and looked at the supremely sad, very sad shape of my hair. She took my bun out of its tight wrap and audibly gasped. I vividly remember this because I had one severe dreadlock of knot just rounding my noggin. And you know what happened. I got all my hair chopped off that afternoon. The next day, the kids at school thought I was the new boy. Nothing like being lightly androgynous in the face. So perfect. Literally no hair, mom. Thank you for that. So sometime in early grammar school, my mom got me into Girl Scouts. And that was where we met the majority of the white girls I would be friends with for several years to come. I mean, up until the end of high school, really. And I enjoyed myself as any could would. Never saw any issue with looking different than the girls around me. And when Trisha, my, my best friend at the time, and I started making new friends towards the end of middle school, this was when the essence of my color became real to me. I distinctly recall walking around the corner from the 5-6 building to the 7-8 side. We had a really big-ass middle school. Bumped into Trisha, spilled our books, and noticed her new posse. Molly and Annabelle were cool, but not cool enough for me and Trisha. Let's face it, no one was in those pubescent years like come on can't sit with us so i was confused by this new trifecta that i was clearly not a part of i apologized for the bumpage asked trisha if she was coming over for dinner that night as we'd done since literally first grade 
She gave me eyes I'd never seen directed at me before, maybe pity, and just simply said, not tonight. That was it. As if it were suddenly as obvious to me as it was for her. Doesn't I realize it doesn't seem like much of a moment, but for me it said, that's that old pal, see you never. She was moved on real quick. And in my little kiddish eyes, from the lens I was looking through at the world, all I saw was that her new friends looked similar to each other and different from me. Basic connection making or pattern recognition was occurring in grade eight. So for the first time, I had felt abandoned and a little hopeless. Where do I even go from here? I felt like Trisha's friends, whom were white, enjoyed things that I did not, fit in clothing stores I couldn't, like American Eagle, wore makeup that didn't have my shade, didn't really want to open their circle wide enough to include me in it. There was a Hispanic group at school, but they were bilingual and I already felt left out. The punk white group just wore Doc Martens and smoked a lot, so that was a no. I figured I might as well pop into the urban, mainly black, though, let's face it, crowd, because at least I can visually fit in and I could sort the rest out later. LOL at the foreshadowing, (laughs) which really isn't all of it at the end of the day. And once high school hit, things got weird. I hadn't been looked at as attractive until I got to high school. So let's face it, there's an awkward stage in there as well. I had braces, whatever, but still. I told you about that androgynous thing. So, I mean, that continues to today. So the awkward stage ran a little long. The girlfriends I had going into high school were a solid group of about eight to ten assertive, gossipy, loud girls with yikes reputations. Seniors in school began to take a real notice of our group, but they were especially interested in the fact that I didn't quite belong. Something was a dash off, if you will. Where the other girls were used to myriad flirtations and sexual passes, I was soon seen as a friend and confidant by the same set of senior guys. Some of them saw me as a little sister. Some liked me, but most never tried anything with me on a real tip. The rumors, the rumors, they started early in my, in ninth grade. So that's 14. All sexual and completely fabricated. Years later, I found that these rumors were made by my friends. These senior guys I chilled with were all either Hispanic or black, and I felt perfectly fine with that, but it became noticeable that my surroundings were solely brown, not even mixed, like me or the house I grew up in. I was uncomfortable with being seen, categorized, and called black because I was not just that. Isn't identity so such a fickle monster? Everyone at school was making me choose one side or the other. Yet there was never a time or a place to make that correction. So for years, I just let it fly. And that's its own set of foreshadowing how much I allowed to just happen at me. Immediately, I got into sports in high school. And that was the best decision I could have ever made. In athletics, one never has to be categorized by anything but skill or time. (laughs) The most liberating time was when it was me against the clock only. I love volleyball. Tolerated softball, but I excelled in track. I did give just as much effort in volleyball, white and Latina predominantly, and softball, mainly white, until I got into an almost physical brawl with our new softball coach, quit on the spot, walked over to the football field, and told the track coach exactly what he'd been hoping to hear for three years. 
You got space for me this season or not? <laughs> I remember that day perfectly. Outdoor track was my very closely tied favorite to volleyball due to the amalgam of better looking, <laughs> ethnically diverse hormonal males that participated in outdoor rather than indoor sports, let's face it. So over time, I became more settled in my outer visage due to sheer fake it till you make it mentality, okay? You know what I'm talking about. Look, I knew I was pretty, but not pretty enough for a white boy though. I knew I was attractive, but also just a touch too masculine with my naturally bulging muscles and deep voice that are often associated with men. But I didn't have the black butt, and so not every black guy was actually interested. So this whole above sequence I just reiterated was hell, clearly. My face was pretty, but little else was in my mind's eye. How could I talk to either parent about this? I was resentful for a long time, unknowingly to me that that was even an emotion, before I had some quality friends of all variations walk me through this dicey terrain alongside them. And I am hella grateful for them. They know who they are, for their patience and reserve at helping me see myself the way they saw me. So now I am confident. We're working toward it every day. I've been working consciously at leveling up my view of myself because that's what matters first before anyone else views me. Friends, parents, and a life coach have been integral, and I'd be mad remiss if I went on without appreciating them. And off script from this blog post is somatic work, transformational leadership work. This is the work that I have been working on. This is my shadow work. Rewriting one's internal script from the old, ugh, he'd never go for me because I'm thick, to the more fabulous, why would anyone want to miss these luscious thighs, though? <laughs> Another bullet dodged, thank the gods. When it's internal, it's more difficult. Let's be real. Let's just be real. One has to be super mentally and emotionally awake to stay on top of the internal script. And you got this. Putting post-it notes of affirmations around your bedroom is a solid start. Even just asking for... I wrote brutal. I might take that back. But asking for real feedback from a friend. Do you prefer my natural hair or how I style it nowadays? And you want to know something? When I've asked that question and friends have said to me, how do you like it? What feels good to you? That felt even more liberating to have the question asked back of me that I was hoping for an easy way out. <laughs> and that's what the real ones are for. Just remember that you will always belong. You just have to sift around until you find those that complement who you are. Accepting my identity is up to me. You can choose to accept my identity as well, but that's your perception and has very little to do with me. And that's really all there is to it. So, my friends, there you have a little bit of my story, one small piece of what makes me me. Thank you so much for listening. And there you have it. Hoping this left you with something to noodle on for yourself. If you want to connect further, find me with the links to the show notes. If you're interested in partnering in transformation, 
find what you're looking for on my site, Adventures of Community. And with that, I'll see you on our next adventure.